Welcome to First Formation, a weekday podcast for high church lowlifes like me, Logan Isaac, looking to get the fuck up and pray. This is where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hearty folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. A podcast for anyone who cares for soldiers and veterans enough to follow us into the mud and the suck, to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Hey, and welcome to a bonus episode of First Formation. Today we're going to be talking about this thing I've been referring to called the Holy Triduum or the Paschal Triduum, uh, Latin for three days. I've described it as the the pinnacle or the, the kind of center of the highest holy days in the Christian calendar. And we're going to talk about that in just a second after this break. first day in the Paschal Triduum, or the three days, or um, sometimes referred to as the still days of Easter. The first one up is Maundy Thursday. There's some uh, debate as to where that uh, name comes from. Uh, One of them, the the least common um, kind of references is to uh, mendicare, the Latin word for beg. Um, and it's actually, it develops through uh, French into English as Moundy, and there are Moundy purses that uh, beggars carry as they uh, ask for alms outside church. And so there's this um, tradition, um, I believe, outside the Vatican, or it could be outside the Church of England's um, uh, the uh, Lambeth Palace, where as the priest is approaching the church, it's a, a thing that they do. They, ha- they hold these moundy purses and they are given small gifts on the way to Holy, uh, on the way to Moundy Thursday service. Um, the more likely and the more mainstream uh, reference is to uh, moundatum or mandate or commandment. And this comes from Jesus's words, a new commandment I give you in John 13 where a lot of the passion narrative usually takes place um, in John's gospel. Um, And it's important to understand that Maundy Thursday uh, is based on the Jewish festival of Passover, and this language will be used frequently throughout the service. What you'll experience in church is um, foot washing. That's kind of like the centerpiece. Um, There's sometimes the services are split, but for the most part, churches still will practice the foot washing uh, ceremony, which is something that in John's gospel, Jesus commands that we continue to do. Um, and the, uh, the foot washing and the breaking of bread on Monday, Thursday occur with Judas present. It isn't until um, after they've eaten, after they've washed their feet, that um, the, uh, Jesus talks about um, you know, I'm not necessarily speaking a blessing for all of you. Uh, I know who I have chosen, um, but this scripture has to be fulfilled. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So Jesus breaks bread with Judas and the other disciples, and then Judas 
leaves after foretelling Jesus uh, foretelling Judas's betrayal. Then it's where you hear this um, line of a new commandment I give you, a new mandatum I give you. And just so that it's clear that it's not just that um, Judas is capable of betraying uh, Jesus, but in John's uh, gospel, immediately following this commandment, said, uh, uh, Peter speaks up and says, you know, where are you going? You know, why are you giving us these instructions? We're just having our Passover feast. And Jesus says, um, where I'm going, you can't follow me, but you'll follow afterward. Peter insists that I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, actually, you know, before the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. So we're all capable of doing the things that lead to Good Friday, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, but Monday, Thursday, the foot washing ceremony um, is uh, likely to have come from this mandate that Jesus gives to love one another um, and also do the things that uh, uh, he has done, including uh, loving beggars and, and reaching out to and providing for beggars uh, with their, their Monday purses. second day of the Holy Triduum, the Paschal Triduum, is Good Friday. And this is, um, I mean, if there's one holiday that really doesn't feel like a holiday, it's Good Friday. And it sure as hell doesn't feel like good. Um, And yet this is what the day is known as. Um, Good Friday, um, the following the Jewish tradition of a day beginning at sunset and ending at the following sunset. Friday begins after dinner on Monday, Thursday, after the Passover supper, um, after the Seder dinner, when Judas betrays Jesus, and then they go off to the garden to hang out. Everybody falls asleep because they're tired, and then um, Jesus is arrested, and Judas betrays him with a kiss. And in the hours that we would call midnight and into the early morning is when Jesus undergoes these different trials um, before Pilate, before Herod, um, then back to Pilate and the Sanhedrin. And all of this occurs over a matter of just a couple of hours. Um, In the early morning uh, daylight hours of Good Friday is when Jesus is flogged and um, Barabbas, this uh, murderer, uh, convicted murderer and um, uh, protester, uh, according to the Roman government, um, he is released. Um, and there's some some interpretive tradition that suggests that Baraba represents the devil, and the devil is being released into the world to go and kill. And you know Jesus isn't here, so you have Baraba instead. Um, but this is the day when Jesus um, is crucified. It's also the day in which the uh, stations of the cross occur. Jesus is carrying his cross up to the place of the skull, known as Golgotha. Um, And these 12 different stations uh, that have been memorialized. Um, And then uh, once he's there, he's nailed to the cross. And depending, I mean, historically, it's always just kind of difficult to pin down because of the way that the gospel, the, the, that because of the way that literature and narrative, the purpose they served, wasn't exactly the same as what we would today call historically, you know, verifiable. 
Um, but somewhere in the matter of hours, Jesus has these seven last sayings. He speaks to the criminals on either side. And in church, we have a service, the Good Friday service is when we cover the cross, um, either in black or in purple. Um, and it's a representative of the day that we've, we betray Jesus, all of us. Um, it's a difficult service. Um, it's the last time that any music is heard um, in the in the the Triduum before Easter, um, and when the service ends, uh, it's supposed to be in silent chaos. Instead of having a recession and maybe you know some kind of like postlude from the organist, the organ doesn't sound, the bells don't sound. At the end of the service, if you're not familiar with it, you'll sit around wondering like what's next, and that's the point. Um, that represents the moment at which Jesus died and everybody, his closest friends, his family, um, looked up at the cross and thought that they were wrong. That this Messiah was an imposter, just like the rest, and whatever hope they placed in Jesus was uh, misplaced, basically. And so it's this really painful um, service. Um, it, it cuts against the grain, it makes us uncomfortable, and that is precisely the point discomfort and suffering is part and parcel to the life of faith. If we are to be like Christ, it does involve suffering. Um, and somehow, on this day, that suffering is called good. It is, it's never been called horrible Friday, um, terrifying Friday, bloody Friday. It's been called good Friday from the very beginning. And um, it's this difficult relationship that the church has with suffering and pain, whether inflicting pain um, or suffering pain. Um, I'd argue that the suffering pain is far more um, important, um, for lack of a better word. Um, but this is the day when Jesus dies, and we look upon the cross and, and realize that we are a part of this, that we have done something so um, unimaginable you know, ignoring the theological stuff, we, the crowd, the people, the, the populace, we condemned an innocent person to die um, because they failed to live up to our expectations. They didn't give us what we wanted, and we effectively, as a group, decided that that person had let us down, um, and so that they deserved to die. Um, the 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 priest of the Sanhedrin at the time, Caiaphas, has these words, better that one man shall die than the entire congregation perish or suffer. And that's precisely not the point, that the congregation as a whole um, suffers together. That's the way that pain was created, or that's the way that pain was meant to be um, experienced, not on one person, but distributed, divided among many. And the, the goodness of the day of this day rests upon the fact that God can take all that pain, all that suffering, all that, um, all those wounds that we inflict on God, and God um, will have the final word. We don't know that yet, um, and that's precisely the point of Holy Saturday. The third and final day of the Paschal Triduum of the three days is actually Holy Saturday. Now, Holy Saturday is not known among a lot of kind of mainline uh, Protestants. It's not 
Uh, it's, it's actually kind of like an anti-feast. It's the day in which no services occur. Um, in fact, um, uh, at the end of the Triduum, which is Easter Vigil, uh, the evening, in our, our understanding, the evening of Holy Saturday, um, the end of it, uh, if there's an Easter Vigil, any sacrament, any um, bread or wine that is used had to have been consecrated um, prior to sundown on Friday, on Good Friday, because Holy Saturday, nothing happens. This is precisely why it's called the still days in some traditions, um, because everything stops. Um, Saturday is typically, uh, historically has been the day of rest for both the Jews and for some uh, modern Christians. Um, we confuse, you know, the Lord's Day with the day of rest, but anyway. Um, Saturday is typically a rest day, and it's this uncomfortable rest because the Lord isn't with us, um, and there it's this weird, yeah, things stop, and that's supposed to feel like rest, um, but the opposite of rest is restlessness, and I'm sure that the disciples and um, followers of Jesus felt very restless. Uh, they weren't sure if they would suffer the same fate as their their founder as their um their priest um because he had been killed and peter clearly is nervous he's asked hey don't you know this guy and he denies knowing jesus because he's afraid um so it's this ironic rest um while jesus traditionally it's not recorded in scripture um but holy saturday is that time when jesus dies descends into hell to harrow it, uh, harrow being the opposite of hallow, hallow being uplifted and um, you know kind of sanctifying. Harrowing is to instill fear, to scare the shit out of hell. Um, and uh, the color is black, uh, but there's no services, so you don't wear anything. Black or purple will be covering the cross all day, um, and it's uh, scripturally it's when um, Jesus is in the tomb. And it ends um, sometime uh, in the future, but it up until the very moment of of sunrise, when the women find this uh, the tomb empty, um, the uh, the the rule of the day is basically fear and chaos and restlessness. Um, actually, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, who was on the Sanhedrin and um, uh, dissents. Uh, to the, the the majority kind of opinion that Jesus should die. It's actually the Sanhedrin, um, member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph, who uh, provides the tomb because he has to be taken down once he's dead. Um, there's all kinds of um, uh, regulations and um, uh, observances for death in the Jewish faith at this time. And they're nervous because he has to come down before the Sabbath, which is you know, within mat uh, several hours between about the third hour, 3 p.m. on Friday, and sundown, which is maybe 6, 6.30. And so in that time, they prepare his body very hastily. Um, Joseph of, of Arimathea, for all intents and purposes, has given up what could be his family tomb to this failed insurrectionist um, who he didn't want to die. Um, and through this time, uh, it's this weird discomfort um, 
and feelings of guilt. This is kind of the pinnacle of, of Lent. Um, even though we're not in Lent, Triduum is its own kind of holiday or series of, of feasts. Um, and it doesn't end until, uh, you know, in, in the modern church, we do it at the at, after the sun is down on Holy Saturday. Um, in Scripture, it's supposed to be at first morning's light. Um, the rising of the sun is symbolic for Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Um, and in Scripture, it's it's you know very early on the mor- in the morning on Sunday when they discover his body is dead. But what that means is that sometime before first light, something happens that Jesus's body is um, re- resurrected and renewed in some some sense. You know, people can't really recognize him. Um, but because that's when it actually happens, that's when Easter vigil typically occurs. And Easter Vigil is this wonderful service. It's, you know, after Lent or during Lent, you do not say Alleluia because it's a time of repentance. And one of the central um, elements of the Easter Vigil is finally saying Alleluia again uh, for the first time in, you know, a month or two. Um, but it's it's not until that moment. It's supposed to be very symbolic and representative of fear and chaos and darkness. And so you begin outside um, and you light a fire, and that fire is then used to light the Paschal candle, and that Paschal candle then typically is used to light uh, individual candles that the congregation holds. But those aren't lit until you read the story of Genesis, the story of the uh, the patriarchs and early um, uh, followers of God and, and their story, and then slowly but surely the light is, uh, comes to the world um, and this is the day uh, in the service when people are typically baptized um, because this is kind of the centerpiece of the Christian faith. Um, I won't talk about Easter just because we're not supposed to, um, not until the vigil, uh, specific time during the vigil. Um, but this moment is also really significant for service members and soldiers because during the Passion Week, during the reading of John's Gospel and the killing and execution of Jesus, and even the resurrection, soldiers feature prominently in the story, and not and they're they're not the heroes. Um, certainly, um, many people, uh, the the crowds, become kind of the villains with um, agreeing to and endorsing and encouraging uh, Jesus's execution. But the soldiers, even before that, you know, just in doing their jobs, are uh, made objects of scorn. Uh, certainly by John's Gospel and to a lesser extent in other Gospels. And so I've said before uh, throughout the, the, the last several uh, First Formation uh, regular podcast episodes that, you know, if, if you're reading this and it's difficult, don't hesitate to get in touch. This, ca- this can be uh, difficult stuff to hear if you're trying to really engage your faith deeply um, and understand what it means to be a Christian soldier or veteran. Um, this these liturgical moments are meant to instill that same sense in everyone of a sense of moral responsibility, of repentance, of fear, of anxiety. Um, and in the United States, we aren't good at that. Um, there's been studies that uh, confirm that uh, Americans in, in, uh, in particular uh, are averse to conflict and feelings of uh, you know, feeling bad. Uh, we, we don't do that well. And soldiers and veterans typically can't avoid um, those f- feelings, that sense sometime, 
in uh, in the experience uh, of combat or of uh, military formation, and so that's a luxury that we don't often have. But if you need a battle buddy um, in this week or, or any time, really, don't hesitate to reach out to me on social media uh, at PewPewHQ, um, wherever it is that you can, you uh, is most convenient for you. I know a lot of y'all are really intelligent. You can find my information, so I won't put it on the air. Um, but I do encourage you not to not to um, be alone in this time. If it's something that um, you need support and companionship for uh, with some theological training or, or insight, just reach out to, to me or to anybody that you know and trust that can uh, help experience and process this liturgical event with you. Because this is this is actually really important to experience the pain and suffering uh, of this season, and it's a gift that uh, soldiers and veterans can provide the church. But we have to make sure that we're providing for ourselves, that we're engaging in self care and um, uh, buddy care as well. Can't, what do we call it in the military? I can't remember. Battle buddy care, buddy buddy aid. I think. Um, that being said, um, try to appreciate the tritium, um, as much as you can, go to the services, ask questions, do the, you know, the, um, uh, worship exercises, you know, standing and sitting and kneeling and all that, uh, different stuff and, uh, try to engage, find yourself in that story and remember that your your story, just like the story of the soldiers in the passion narratives is, is complicated. It's, uh, nuanced and difficult to interpret, but no one uh, will be able to do that better than um, soldiers and veterans themselves. And I encourage you to participate and 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 fall in to these different um, formative experiences that the church has to offer. Thank you for falling into Pew Pew HQ's First Formation, where we share morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll consider participating in one of the three following ways. First, you can support this podcast with a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash firstformation. You can sponsor morning prayer for Pew Pew people with as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host yourself by recording a lectionary reading and sending it to me to be included in a weekday episode of your choosing. Instructions for co-hosts can be found in earlier episodes, and you don't have to be a grunt to participate in First Formation in this or any way. Finally, and maybe most importantly, you can send me your prayer requests of a minute or less with a voice message feature on Anchor's iOS or Android apps. Prayers may be added to a morning prayer episode, aired anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it. Three ways to participate in morning prayers for Pew Pew people. I hope you will continue to listen in and maybe even consider participating yourself. This has been and always will be Logan Isaac. Always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.